0: Exodus chapter 40, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of that chapter down to verse 8. And we want to think this morning about how to approach a new year. How to approach a new year. Exodus chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. There we read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony, and cover the ark with the veil. And thou shalt bring in the table, and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick, and light the lamps thereof. And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony, and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And Thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and shalt put water therein. And thou shalt set up the court roundabout and hang up the hanging at the court gate. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Well, here we are, friends, and it's a another year 2021 has gone and I think for many of us we're glad to see the back of it and now we're into a a new year 2022 and I thought as this new year dawned it would be perhaps an opportunity for us to share some devotional thoughts this morning as we look to the year ahead. Now I've brought you to the book of Exodus and Exodus tells us of Israel's escape From Egyptian slavery. It tells us of the rise of Moses. It speaks of the ten plagues. It gives us the miraculous escape of the Jews. Across the Red Sea. And ultimately to the giving of the law. The ten commandments at Sinai. But the larger part of this book. From chapter 25 to chapter 40. Concerns itself with the construction of the tabernacle. And of its furnishings. And that tells us Something of the importance of worship in our lives. You know, you read the story of the Exodus, and it is an exhilarating story. It's an amazing account. It's one of my uh, favorite books, and and certainly in those early chapters, that you see God challenging the gods of Egypt, and you see how that He leads His people through and out from uh, slavery into liberty, and all of that's very wonderful. But the most important part of this whole account is not that God miraculously delivered the Israelite people uh, under those circumstances but that he did so that they might worship him. That's the ultimate truth. You see, God didn't just save us to keep us from hell. God saved us for the purposes of sanctifying us, that we might sanctify him, that we might worship him, that salvation is all about the glory of the Lord. Now as Exodus draws to its conclusion, the tabernacle having been built, the priestly garments having been provided, the furnishings having been prepared, God has one more thing to say to these people. And I want you to notice the timing of it there in the first verse. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month. On the first day of... Of the first month. Now, in the Jewish calendar, that is the month Abib, which brings us to about March or April in our calendar. But of course, it was for those Jewish people the time of New Year. Now for us, this time is the time of New Year, the beginning of January 2022. And what I want to do this morning is just look at some of these things that God said to the Israelites, some of the commands he gave to them as they embarked upon this new year and to make some application to our own situation and our own year ahead. There are a number of things that we ought to remember as we go into a new year And the first of these is found in verses 1 and 2. We should remember God's people. It says that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Now there's the first thing. The Israelites were told to set up the tabernacle. That is, they were to establish their meeting place with God. And notice it's called the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. This is where they met, and they met for the purpose of worship. Now, of course, in the New Testament era, we are the tabernacle. We are the temple of God. We're a temple unlike the tabernacle of old or the temples of old. We're a temple that is made without hands. uh, And yet with all, in a particular way, God looks for us to join ourselves together as his temple to come together as an assembly, to come together into a particular gathering place, a meeting place, and to do so with some degree of faithfulness. This morning, our our brother Nigel, as he spoke with the children, uh, alluded to the, the, the principle that we ought to be Faithful to the house of God, and indeed we ought to be. Hebrews 10 and 25 says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And those who forsake the assembly, who find other things to do on Sundays or Sunday evenings or midweek meetings so that they're not in church as often as they could be or they should be, friends, I want you to understand that when you do that, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, See, the church is at the heart of who and what we are as the people of God. The church is who we are. We are the people of God. Now, whilst it's true that every Christian as an individual is the temple of God, it's not true that every Christian as an individual forms a church. As a believer, you and I are to be part of the church. But it's only when we gather as a congregation that we're seen to be the church. You know, I meet many Christians, I've met many Christians over the years who prefer not to go to church or not to belong to a church. And, and uh, you know, I speak with, I've spoken with them and they give me various reasons why they won't join themselves to a local church. And, you know, I often think of such friends as, You know, they're rather like a a man who says he's a soldier, but he never joins the army. You know, he does all the training. He does all of the marching. He does all of the preparatory work. He he gets out on the rifle range and practices the shooting, but he never actually joins the army. He never actually aligns himself with others on the field of battle. It rather reminds me of someone who perhaps says they're a teacher, but never attend a school. You know, they they have no pupils to teach. They have no classroom to show up in. They've done all the preparatory work. They've went to university and they've got the degree and they understand the psychology of children and they understand the, the methodology of teaching, but they never are put in a position where they're practicing their craft. Or like a footballer who never joins a team. You know, when I was a young fella, I used to love football. Uh, uh, even now, um, you know, I'm well past it now, but even now, if a, if a ball rolled out in front of me, my first instinct would be to chase after it. Now, that wouldn't be very good at this stage, at this stage, at this point in life. But that was my instinct. You know, I see it and I want to go for it. And, uh, you know, as a boy, you get, get these fellas sometimes and they're very good at keeping up you ever play keepy upping? You know, we have to keep the ball off the ground. And they'd be, they'd be brilliant at it. You know, they could get it on their knees and under their chest and up under their head. Sometimes they could roll it under their back and, and, and have it on their neck and then flip it up and head it and, and keep it up and keep going and going and going. And you could count how many times they kept it in the air and they were great. But then you put them onto the football pitch. Some of them were just terrible. Because they couldn't play as part of the team. They never understood defense. They never, they never understood attack. They couldn't hold their position. They couldn't read the game. They weren't very spatially aware. You see, what you have with a person who just plays keepy-uppy is you have a juggler, not a footballer. A footballer plays for a team. But a juggler, well, he's just playing the game for himself. And that's how some Christian people are. Uh, They're like uh, those who just simply play at the faith but never really practice the faith. They're like the one who has all the lingo and has all of the the knowledge and and seems to have all the appearances of someone who's truly saved and loves the Lord and yet with all they're not part of the team. They're They're not part of the church. Friends, in the year ahead, don't forget your place in and the importance of the church throughout this coming year. When the doors are open for worship, when the doors are open for witness, when the doors are open for the word, my advice and counsel and exhortation is that you make it your business to be there. Now we come to verse 3 and we read this, and thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with the veil. Now the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant contained three important artifacts. First of all, it contained the tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments were written. Then they contained some of the manna, that the bread that fell from heaven. And then they also housed the rod of Aaron which abutted. Now here are three more reminders as we begin a new year. Things that the Lord would have us to keep our focus upon. First of all, we are to remember uh, God's people. But then we should remember God's precept. You know, Everywhere the Israelites went, they carried God's law with them in this box, this Ark of the Covenant. And that speaks of the primacy of Scripture and the centrality of the Word of God in our lives. We're to bring the Word of God with us, not in a box, not in the way that the Jews of old did, but we're to carry it with us wherever we go. The psalmist said, "Thy word have I hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against Thee." We're to take the word of God with us everywhere we go, in every circumstance we find ourselves, in every situation we face, in every place that we visit, in every conversation that we have. The word of God is to be a very present, uh, present, uh, is to be felt very presently in our lives. How important it is that we make time for the Word of God, not only when it's proclaimed publicly uh, to us as a congregation, but when we avail of its truth privately in our own quiet time. If you show me a Christian who's not right with God, I can guarantee you that's a Christian who's not in the Word of God. You know, make the most of your Bible in the year ahead. Read it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it, obey it, believe it, heed it. You know, the Bible for the Christian is his bread and it's his milk. It's his staple diet for every believer. You know, the uh, book of Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The psalmist said, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And again in Psalm 1, we read, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of God, in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Remember God's precepts. Remember God's provision. There's the manna within the box. That's what we see within the Ark of the Covenant. And you know the story of the manna well. I'm sure you've heard it and rehearsed it and read it many times. You'll find it in chapter 16 of this book how that God rained bread from heaven to feed the hungering Israelites day by day. Friends, as the year unfolds, never forget that everything you have Everything that you own has come from the hand of a gracious God. Live each day being thankful for his provision. You know in the model prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And this God does. Remember to be thankful in the first place. But also to be careful not to be anxious in the second place. God has promised to provide for us. You know, an interesting thing happened with my wife and I just there before Christmas. We were, we were up in Belfast and uh, we were doing some Christmas shopping, very unsuccessfully I have to say, but we did some Christmas shopping and uh, somewhere along the line she was going to buy a, an orchid, a fake orchid in, in Marks and, Spen- and Spencers and uh, we got into a conversation and she said this, you know, she says, I've always wanted an orchid nobody's ever bought me in all of our married years nobody's ever bought me a real orchid and I thought well I could do that (laughs) And so I sort of made a mental note buy your wife a real orchid well we we came back home from Belfast that evening and we stopped off at the Rushmere shopping centre and we were going down to Sainsbury's to get some bread and milk or whatever and as we were coming out uh, one of the workers was standing there and she had gathered up all the flowers and all the plants. And she looked me in the eye and she said to me, do you want to buy an orchid? <laughs> I mean, this is the same day. And I went, yes. <laughs> and I said it with such enthusiasm. <laughs> I think she was really taken by surprise because I was so <laughs> she probably thought I was the most enth- enthusiastic orchid purchaser ever. But I was just—I I surprised that she offered to sell me an orchid. And she was surprised that I was so keen to buy it. And I bought it. And it only cost me two quid. So that wasn't too bad, was it? Because they were selling them off. But, but I bought my wife a real orchid. You know what? I said to my wife, isn't that interesting? We had that little conversation just a few hours ago between you and I. Nobody knew anything about it. But the Lord knew about it. And in His grace, even in that simple little thing, He provided for us. We ought to be thankful for those little things. It's not always about the big things. It's sometimes about the little things. And we shouldn't be anxious day after day about what is how God is going to meet our needs or, or if God's going to meet our needs. I love the testimony of Psalm 37. I have been young and I, I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He always takes care of us. Remember God's provision. Then remember God's power. That's what Aaron's rod speaks about. It talks to us about the power of God. Look in Numbers chapter 17, if you will. Numbers chapter 17. Verse 1 says, and The Lord speak unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods. Write thy every man's name upon his rod. Thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers, and thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony, where I will meet with you. It shall come to pass that the man's rod, whom I shall choose, shall blossom, and I shall make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece, for each prince one, according to their father's houses, even twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded, and brought forth buds, and bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. Now that's a remarkable and miraculous thing that, that happened there. Here's a rod that has been detached from its root, and yet withal it shows life by the power of God. Now, in this context. This blossoming rod was indicative of God's blessing upon the ministry of Moses and Aaron, upon their leadership in the light of the rebellion of Korah. But it serves as a timely reminder to us that this Christian life is lived, not by our own strength, but in the power of the risen Christ. You see, here's the thing you need to get a hold of in the year ahead. You cannot live this Christian life in your own power, in your own strength, in your own ability. Paul, writing in Galatians 2.20, says, I am crucified with Christ. That's where most of us go wrong, in that we're not crucified with Christ. We haven't died to the old man. We're still living as we've always lived, by our own wits and our own effort, our our own ingenuity and intellect and ability. But Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. He says, I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth through me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I cannot live this Christian life in my own power. Here's what I would say to you in 2022. Don't try to live this Christian life by your own power. But surrender yourself to the power of God. Paul put it this way, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Do you remember when the Israelites returned from Babylon and how that Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, was charged with the building of the temple and how there were times when he despaired as to whether or not they would ever complete that task and yet he was exhorted by God, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He says, this project doesn't rest on your strength. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's not by your wit. It's not by your intelligence. It's not by your program. It's not by your plan. He says, it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. However strong we think we are, however capable we may consider ourselves to be, however resourceful, remember that God does not exalt himself in human strength strength, and ability ever. He must get the glory. And our reliance as a church and as believers must be upon him. And that's why when Zerubbabel completed the task... The cry was not one of praise to his leadership, it wasn't one of praise to his ingenuity, it wasn't his 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 uh, irrepressibility that was upheld and glorified. Oh, they looked at that temple and they said, Grace, grace be unto it. They said, This is the, the accomplishment of God's grace. And we need to be able to say the same thing. Remember God's power. Then back to Exodus chapter 14. And I want you to remember Christ's pardon. It says, And I shall bring in the table, verse 4, and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. Remember Christ's pardon. Here it speaks of the table, the table of showbread, upon which rested the showbread and the wine, a symbol of their communion with the Lord. And friends, throughout this year, I want to encourage you to walk closely with your Lord. Make that your determination to practice his presence, as it were. To listen and to read his word as though it were a personal letter penned to you. To speak with him in prayer as though you were kneeling right before the throne of grace in heaven. To come to his table as though you were seated before the cross and watching the death of Christ unfold. You know, many of us treat the Lord's table, I'm sorry to say, as though it were an optional extra of the Christian life. But, then, friends, listen, I want you to understand the Lord's table is an ordinance of the Lord. It's a command of God that we gather at that table, that we come to remember the Savior's sacrifice. Now, I understand that sometimes we are uh, providentially hindered from taking part. I understand that sometimes, practically, we may not be able to come on a particular Sunday. I get it when certain people sometimes are pressed to leave. Really, I do. I understand that. But, you know, here's the truth of it. Far more of us should be remaining to gather around the table than leaving without gathering around the table. You know, I get it if you have small children and, you know, you think, well, I don't want my kids to be creating a fuss and I don't want them to make a noise during the observance of the table. I understand that. But listen, Dad, Mom, listen, the the children learn by your example. They've got to see what's important to you. And you know what? If, if we as a church get upset because some little child makes a noise during the Lord's table, the problem is ours, not the child's. We ought to be glad to see families here and see little boys and girls watching their moms and dads and and, and their older siblings who are saved coming to the table. We ought to set the pattern for their lives. You know, here's the thing that you ought to do. You ought to be teaching them what matters, what's important to you. For some of us, no doubt, this is true in every place. The table has become something of a mere ritual. A religious exercise to be taken or left. But that's not it at all. Friends, listen. We mustn't settle for some form of dead orthodoxy. The table ought to be part and parcel of a living faith. It represents our communion with Christ. And we ought to prioritize it in our lives and remember Christ's pardon. And then remember your profession. Look at verse 4 again. Thou shalt bring in the candlestick and light the lamps thereof. The candlestick within the tabernacle reminds us firstly that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But secondly, it reminds us that we are to reflect his light. We're not only to have a testimony but we're to be a testimony. We're to live out Our faith. And I want to encourage you to do that in the year ahead. To remember your profession. To remember who you belong to. My mother and father used to say that to me when I was going out to play. Do you ever have your parents say that to you? Remember who you belong to. (laughs) I didn't often remember it. But they told me that anyway. Remember who you belong to. Remember if if you bring shame upon yourself. You're bringing shame upon us also. And you and I ought to remember who we belong to. Remember our profession. Remember everything that, 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 that is said about us should reflect well upon our Savior. You know, everything that, that, uh, that we do, everything we say, everywhere we go, every, every act, every reaction, all of it should tell us, tell those who are looking in on us that we're Christians. We belong to the Lord. Remember the world is watching Our walk, our talk, our habits, our company, our practices. The world is watching. And you and I are to act as light in a world that is really shrouded in moral and spiritual darkness. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. City that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He says, Let people see you're a Christian. Let people know you're a Christian. Remember who you belong to. Remember your profession. Paul puts it this way. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Truth be told, all of us like a little bit of murmuring sometimes, don't we? A little bit of grumbling and complaining and disputing. Paul says, put that away that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. The world is watching us. Remember your profession. Remember to pray, verse 5. Thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. The altar of incense is pictorial of our prayers, coming before the throne of God, night and day. You've got to remember something. You know, you and I are living in a period in time in which, as believers, we're a tremendously privileged people. Back in the Old Testament times, if you wanted to approach unto God, you had to go through a priest or a high priest. But here you are, and I am living in this church age, and we're a royal priesthood, a priesthood of believers with direct access to the very throne of grace. This is a glorious privilege. You know, as we look at the week ahead and we have a week of prayer, you know, some of us may think, oh, that's all I need to start the year and more another night out of the house. Wait a minute. This is a glorious privilege. come before God's throne to lay our burdens there. The psalmist says, let my prayer be set before thee as incense. Remember to pray, friends. Remember also to participate. Look at verse six. And I shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Now this verse is speaking to us of burnt offerings and of course the Jews of old lived under a theocratic rule. God governed them directly. And as such they could only approach him as I've said by medium of a priest or a high priest and yet they were required to bring their own sacrifices to the door of the tabernacle. Notice this that they were to do. To come before the, the ark of the testimony. The priest didn't offer a door-to-door service. He didn't go around from house to house saying, here, give me your lamb, give me your lamb, give me your lamb. No, you were expected to bring your own lamb to the door of the tabernacle. And if you failed to do that, that was a neglect of duty on your part. Friends, I want to say something to you about the church. The church is not the playground of a few, but the responsibility of all. You should participate. Now let's make that a determination. Let's each one decide to play our role, to play our part, to to do away with this idea that I'm a spectator, to do away with spectating in favor of participating, engage, get involved, be a part of things. There's a place for you here. And I want to encourage you to make this church your church. It's a body. And that body is served best and best serves when every member plays his or her part. Remember to participate. And then verse 7, finally, remember to purify. It says, And I shall set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and shall put water therein. You say, what does that mean? Well, laver is just a basin. It was a basin that was comprised of mirrors, which were highly polished by the Israelite woman, highly polished brass or copper, and they, they took all these mirrors, and from those mirrors they made this basin. It was highly reflective. Now beforehand, those mirrors were used to aid in the vanity of their owners. They served to glorify the flesh, to beautify the old man, to gratify the old nature. They represented vanity. You know, even today in our homes and in our possession, uh, we have a vanity mirror by which men shave or perhaps women apply makeup we've all seen ladies in public places sitting with a little mirror in her hand you know preening her hair or, or putting on lipstick or, or, or whatever you know I remember sitting one day in, in a red light and I glanced across to the car beside me and there was a young woman this is in the days before women started wearing brushes for eyelashes uh, this, uh, this is uh, I glanced across at, <laughs> I glanced across at this young woman and uh, I was sitting in the car and it caught my eye she had what looked to me to be a pair of scissors. But she grabbed her eyelashes and she began to pull on her eyelid. And I thought, what in the world is that woman doing to herself? Of well, course, she was curling her eyelashes, wasn't she? But she's looking in that mirror. And she must think to herself, well, I'm the most beautiful young woman. You know, I'm going to look right when I get to the office or wherever she was, she was going. Vanity. So the surrender of those mirrors for the production of the labor was actually intimate. It actually intimated a surrender of all that is vain and all that is pride and all that is self-centered. Pictures the death of the old man, separation from the flesh and from the world. Those shiny services now serve to expose, uh, not, uh, not to beautify us, but to expose us as we are. To show the filth in our hands and our feet. To show us that we must come to the Lord in purity. That we must come confessing our sin. That we must come with a willingness to live lives that are clean. James talks about that in his epistle. He likens the word of God to a, a glass or to a mirror. He says this, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. That lever that was before used for purposes of vanity is now used for purposes of sanctity. They poured water into it. Water in scripture is a picture of the word of God. The Bible speaks about the washing of water by the word in Ephesians five twenty six. The psalmist says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119 and verse 9. When the word of God reveals our sin to us, when it exposes us, when it shows the filth of our lives we're to confess it and forsake it can I encourage you this year if we're going to advance as a church to keep short accounts with God let's determine to confess our sin willingly and quickly knowing that when we harbor sin in our lives our walk with God and our testimony before the world is wounded These were the Lord's words to the ancient Israelites on the first day of the first month of the year. Remember God's people. Remember God's precepts. Remember God's provision. Remember God's power. Remember God's pardon. Remember your profession. Remember to pray. Remember to participate. Remember to purify. May they prove to be equally pertinent and powerful to us On this, the dawning of our new year. And may God bless each one of us individually and each one of us together corporately as a church as we seek to serve him here. May the Lord bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning.